When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune into today's show. Where the hell is the FTX money? We discuss the latest developments as funds are on the move again. We'll be joined by Genver Rockdecter and Thomas Brazil, so stay tuned for this show. I'm Elaine Lee, your friendly crypto host and producer. Ash Bennington is with me this morning. Ash, I read on your Twitter that you're feeling a little bit queasy. Care to elaborate? Yeah, a little queasy. Let me just read the tweet. I actually have this pinned on my Twitter feed right now. Uh, quote, I have a queasy feeling about the next two weeks. News flow suggests there's rising systemic and contagion risk with liquidity and counterparty issues. But the price of Bitcoin and Ethereum just stays eerily range bound. Hopefully it passes uneventfully. We shall see. Look, I tweeted this out on Friday night, November 18th, this last Friday. Bitcoin was trading at around 16,625. Obviously, we've lost the 16 handles since then. Uh, look, the, the thesis here or the or this, the summation of this tweet, really, I should say, is that we're experiencing this period of clearly rising systemic risk, rising contagion risk. Uh, there's liquidity and counterparty issues in the system. Uh, and yet the price, uh, you know, throughout the weekend remained largely pinned in this very sort of narrow range bound corridor. You have to wonder uh, what folks in the space are thinking and if there's some sort of uh, mechanistic effect. I don't know whether it's people taking physical uh, delivery of the coin that's supporting the price. There are all kinds of theories floating around out there. But look, bottom line, it certainly seems like we are in a far, far riskier period than we were, Elaine, before the FTX collapse. Well, Ash, I hate to tell you, it's a market that never sleeps, so strap in. And by the way, if you guys are watching, don't forget to subscribe to Real Vision Crypto. It's absolutely free. If you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe and hit that notification bell so you don't miss it when we go live and we're on the show to answer your questions that you submit. All right, let's jump straight into the price action. So cryptocurrency prices has resumed falling. BTC briefly fell below 16,000 over the weekend before recovering slightly. Bitcoin is currently hovering around that level and is down around 2.5% for the past week. According to blockchain analytics firm Into the Block, more than half of all addresses holding Bitcoin are now in the red. It's the first time more than half of Bitcoin investors have made paper losses on their initial investment since March 2020. Ash, I hate to be the doom and gloom of this, but how is Ethereum performing? Yeah, Ether is doing worse right now than Bitcoin in terms of uh, percentage uh, loss, both on a daily and weekly basis. Ether lost some 9% on a trailing seven-day basis, and Ether is currently trading at just over 1100 bucks right now. I think we're going to have more to say about that uh, shortly. Elaine, what else are you looking at? Uh, we're looking at Helium this morning, and it's also been mentioned in our Disco Discord. I like to call our Pro Crypto Discord server. So Helium, the token for the controversial DeFi network of Internet of Things, is down 
heavily. Look, take a look at this. Currently trading at around $2.18, down 8% for the past 24 hours. That's despite a high-profile endorsement from a famed TradFi investor, Bill Ackman. It's a U-turn for Ackman, who said he was previously skeptical of crypto. But let's move on to our top story today. Ash, we are all wondering, where did the FTX money go? Which part, Elaine? I mean, that's really the $32 billion question here. Uh, this is a complex and complicated story. Are we referring to the nearly half billion dollars that was stolen from FTX in the hack? Are we talking about the $3 billion that's owed to creditors uh, based on court filings over the weekend? Uh, the $16 billion in customer account funds, uh, $10 billion of which seem to have been lent to Alameda Research, the sister company, uh, that you know may or may not have been vaporized in trading losses? It's a great question, Elaine. <laughs> okay, so the list goes on and on, Ash. The part where it's a hot mess. Look, it's a good question, and lots of money have been lost, but through all sorts of incompetence and wrongdoing. But I'm talking about the funds, Ash, that was lost um, on 11th uh, of November, right after when FTX filed for bankruptcy in the US. Some $600 million are estimated to have been lost in the exploit. Lots of theories flying around quicker than I can scroll through my own damn Twitter timeline. But what do we know, Ash? Can you fill me in on that? Yeah, so based on what's being reported, and we can see this on the block explorers, uh, is that the funds are once again on the move, Elaine. The exploiter uh, was one of the biggest holders of Ethereum in the world. In the world, that's a pretty extraordinary statement. Uh, now he or she or they started transferring some of it into REN BTC. REN BTC, for those who may not know, is a token that runs on the Ethereum blockchain and it's pegged to the value of Bitcoin. Uh, it's a bridge that allows the use of Bitcoin on another blockchain. So basically, it's uh, it's a wrapped it's a wrapped Bitcoin uh, product that's being traded on Ethereum and that you can use uh, interoperability with. The use of REN is notable because, according to CoinDesk, in 2021, Alameda Research, uh, the Sam Bankman-Fried-owned uh, trading company at the center of the scandal, or partially owned by Sam Bankman-Fried, said REN's development team was quote joining. Uh, close quote, Alameda, and would work on expanding REN's usage to several different blockchains. Uh, FTX is asking other exchanges to help it recover those lost funds uh, that it said were transferred without authorization uh, to other exchanges throughout intermediate wallets. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. It just fuels the conspiracy theories. Uh, why is it that the tr funds have been transferred uh, to, a, uh, to, a, to a coin, in this case, uh, REN BTC, that, uh, that Alameda Research clearly had ties to? Uh, it's a complicated story. We don't really know those answers yet, Elaine, uh, but we're just going to watch this story and we're going to report these facts as they come out in real time. Yeah, so the plot continues to thicken. All right, let's bring in our guest, Jennifer Rockdector, who is a chartered financial analyst and the CEO of Grit Capital. We're also joined by Thomas Brazil. He is the managing partner at 507 Capital, who specializes in distressed assets. Uh, welcome to the show, the both of you. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, well, I want to obviously get your general views on the crisis first. So, uh, Genevieve, let's start with you. Hot mess, isn't it? Total hot mess. I'm also a hot mess reporting on this because I've been reporting <laughs> since uh, 10 days ago, uh, you know, Friday, November 11th, when it all sort of broke. Mm. Um, and I felt compelled to start making content about this on TikTok. So I started making videos that were you know, content that the general public can consume, because to your point, this is a complicated story. So much money moving around, who did what, who's who in the zoo, like it's just so dizzying, right? 
Um, and so oh, here we are today, uh, and there's been con there's contagion across the entire sector. Um, people are taking money off of crypto exchange is at a rapid pace, I think probably a record pace. Uh, people are not trusting their money on exchanges. We had over the weekend uh, the largest legal holder of Bitcoin, the Grayscale BT GBTC Trust, come out and say, um, you know, we have your Bitcoin here. It's at Coinbase, but we're not going to tell you exactly what the address is. We're not going to fully give you proof of reserves, but they had Coinbase sign off on it. Um, you know, and we know Coinbase is a financial services business. Um, they're a public company. They're audited. They're regulated by the SEC. So hopefully that is truthful. But, you know, that closed-end fund, which is the largest holder of Bitcoin, is trading at a 50% discount. So, yeah, and then there's just there's just so many shoes to drop here. It's really hard to keep track of it all. But Twitter and the content on Twitter has just been absolutely amazing, beating all mainstream media by a like, landslide. Right, right. And then, you know, one of our compliance friends once said, complexity is also a risk. Uh, Thomas, let's bring you into the party, man. What do you make of this situation? Ooh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, most bankruptcies are hot messes. Um, if they were had their stuff together, they probably wouldn't be a bankruptcy. I mean, some companies are literally just caught in uh, macro headwinds and need to restructure their balance sheets. But many times, you 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 know, when the bottom falls out of market, you sort of see who's swimming naked. And this is no different, I guess, in the crypto fallout or CFI fallout. I don't want to call it crypto fallout. I don't want to call it CFI. Uh, but uh, it's interesting to see some of the facts that are coming out. Um, the kind of movement around of wallets post-petition is very unorthodox in a traditional bankruptcy. You wouldn't see money flowing around from bank account to bank account. Uh, and we'll see where that comes out. Post-petition movements of crypto, if unauthorized, who knows, maybe it raises to the level of bankruptcy fraud or something that could be criminality. Um, and uh, we'll see We'll see what's what goes what. There's so much going on right now. It's kind of hard to uh, not, in, in, uh, to be following everything or to follow everything. And uh, crypto Twitter has been all over it. I'm just blown away at the level of engagement um, and just the amount of kind of real-time analysis going on. It's amazing. Like take a simple thing like, you know, whether the property is held in trust or whether it's during unsecured claim. I mean, you can learn more about this topic by being on Twitter and, you know, $1,500 an hour lawyer tweeting out stuff. It's actually good content. So it's pretty ama amazing to me to watch the community sort of go live on these issues. And then people that are regular, uh, you know, sort of creditors um, just unearthing pretty amazing information. In fact. So uh, un unprecedented. So. What so, I, so I was going to jump in here. What, one question that I, you know, still have, and I'd love to know if you guys have answers to this, but you know, it's still unknown what potential laws that they're going to get Sam Bankman-Fried on breaking because this company is headquartered in Bahamas. I'm no crypto expert in the Bahamas, so I don't know exactly if, you know, we know that he violated or they violated, FTX violated their terms of services um, with the crypto that was right. supposed to be custodied, but, right. you know, violating a terms of service versus breaking the law uh, in, in, into fraud territory is quite, 
those are those are different things. They carry yeah. you know d- different weight. Um, Absolutely. I'm hearing I'm hearing that wire fraud in the U.S. could be something they'll get him on. But you know, I'd love you guys' take on this. Well, this is really kind of one of the key questions here is what jurisdiction are these cases going to be prosecuted in? Uh, what are the relevant statutes that are going to be used? Uh, I am not an attorney, uh, but these are incredibly, incredibly complicated issues that we're about to sort through here. And I'm about, we're about to sort through them in real time. I mean, my sense, uh, the Wall Street Journal was reporting uh, about uh, seven days ago that they are being investigated uh, at FTX by uh, the Department of Justice. Obviously, uh, Department of Justice means it's criminal. Uh, I suspect that the, the magnitude of the losses here are going to um, create the demand for some pretty high resources over at DOJ uh, to figure out just what the heck happened. But it's really, we're, we're kind of... Uh, we're kind of here in terra incognita. We really just don't know how this is going to be prosecuted. Uh, we don't know how this is going to be uh, taken from the from the civil regulatory side either. But let me just ask you this, uh, Jean-Vivre. You have been uh, in this uh, in the traditional finance world, uh, what people in crypto uh, call TradFi, what we tend to call capital markets for a very long time. You're a CFA charter holder. You know, I, I, I've seen you talk a little bit uh, on camera about some of the uh, the things that were happening at FTX, the absence of financial controls, the absence of proper procedures. Uh, give us a little bit of a sense uh, for people who don't have your uh, capital markets background, uh, just what happened and just how unusual it is. Yeah, well, just on a very basic level, this was a crypto exchange run out at the Bahamas, headquartered in the Bahamas, that was supposed to keep customer uh, crypto assets safe uh, and they didn't. Uh, but by like the way, not- just to put some numbers around that for people yeah. who may not know, $16 billion in customer assets uh, and that number of the, and then some of that, a big slug of those funds are being lent over to Alameda. Uh, okay. I believe the number started at four and then eight and then 10 billion of the $16 billion in customer funds uh, being lent uh, to well, the sister company that was trading. Yeah. And what's going to be key is to like when did they start the lending? Like, did it did it begin? Did they never have a segregated fund for the crypto assets that are customer assets, or were those always commingled? Or back in the summer when you had the whole uh, Luna collapse and the three arrow capital, like is that when they got into real trouble because they had lent out money through Alameda to all these other crypto companies and they weren't getting that money back because those companies went bankrupt? And then they said, oh. Like, you know, like we need to plug this hole. Is that when it happened? Because I think it really speaks to sort of the intent, the criminal intent in this case is when this happened. If it happened from the start, then the whole thing was set up from the start to not be legal uh, <laughs> because those weren't their assets. Customer assets are not company assets. And I think that's the biggest point that really frustrates me by this whole thing because we've seen this happen before with other exchanges. This isn't the first time. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. By the way, is there a yeah. good time for them to have lent those assets? I mean, it depends, I guess, on the timing. What the, <laughs> I mean, you know, 10, 10 billion out of 16 billion in customer assets is a massive, massive number. We saw we saw this with MF Global, that some of the challenges with 
uh, not necessarily lending to a sister company, but the inability to be money good on customer assets. Well, and MF Global was regulated. So this is the other question that this brings up is everyone saying more regulation, more regulation. Yes, we need more regulation because, you know, I think the lack of clarity that the SEC is providing in terms of what's a security and what is not a security has pushed companies to have these offshore exchanges just because they don't want to get in trouble in the United States. Um, but that's just pushed a lot of this business offshore. So that's, you know, that's one, that's one problem with it. But the other problem is, is the financial statements of this company are extremely complex, right? Like even just their org chart, if you, if you looked at how the company was organized, it was extremely complex But the financial statements, like even the bankruptcy proceeding documents that were released last week, the 30 page report, um, it speaks to the fact that like the client assets were nowhere recorded on any of the balance sheets. So you can just imagine some of these meetings that may have happened with the VC firms where they said, oh yeah, we've got 16 billion in client assets sitting over here. Meanwhile, they weren't talking about how they were being lent out or bored against yeah. and the collateral was their own token. Like you have to go a level deeper when you're not dealing with audited financial statements, you're dealing with a private company and you're dealing with complicated intercompany relationships between yeah. assets. Thomas, jump I mean, in. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, okay, so lots of thoughts here. I think it was Ken Griffin who was saying the other day, like, you know, I mean, on Bloomberg, like, you know, touching customer assets, big no-no. Uh, so it's interesting to see, uh, you know, that, you know, you know, these would be much more regulated. And I agree with the comment about pushing stuff offshore. It's unfortunate because there's been really no regula regulation or regulatory framework other than like regulation by enforcement in crypto space. So uh, pushing to the the uh, the the, uh, the criminality. I'm not a criminal lawyer. I'm really just a bankruptcy guy. Um, but clearly, you know, who knows investor fraud? Like, what did he show these VCs when they invested in him and uh, and whatnot? And then you have pushing to you know I don't know wire fraud, money laundering. Um, if, if there are other things, I mean, follow, not following the terms and conditions, maybe he gets around the fact that, you know, technically there were no regulations compared, you know, uh, about like how you could dip into it. Um, so maybe it's a breach of trust, breach of duty of, as a share, as a director to the, to the shareholders and to the, um, to the customers, but it's not a, uh, it's not a criminal offense. I, you know, I don't know. And I think here, can I, can I throw something out as a bankruptcy guy? Uh, yeah. that's not super important. Uh, in fact. You know, things going criminal um, is only going to complicate matters, and the DOJ is going to want their pound of flesh. Um, so once they get their teeth, and if you sign some sort of civil forfeiture or something, then the state has to now go argue with the DOJ over what's theirs and what they can keep. And, you know, once they get their teeth in, it's like, geez, because civil forfeitures aren't, you know, you, you basically negotiate with the DOJ. There's no, like, court process for that. And just to throw this out, the 30-page uh, the report that was put out there, that's super preliminary. Nothing in there is. I mean, I think a lawyer would say dispositive of anything, <laughs> meaning it's just, hey, I'm giving you what I got. It's, you know, they, they, they don't have to put investor, you know, sort of compliance uh, safeguards on it. But basically, this is like a buyer beware, best we can do right now um, sort of snapshot because they're supposed to proffer it to the court as they have it. But it's in good faith. It's just, you know, don't think of that as like, oh, this is like religion, like this, everything on here is dead dead on straight it's just early in the case very very yeah. early in the case it seemed to me that it's yeah, basically yeah, like just we jump got... in real quick because I, I want to pull elaine in who has uh, another story that she wanted to throw out there jump in please elaine 
Uh, yeah, so I just want to touch on the FTX liability. So we're learning a little bit more on that about the size of the FTX liabilities. And I think that's where you wanted to go, Genevieve. So according to new court filing, the two biggest creditors are each owned more than $200 million. Now, they haven't been named in the filing. In total, there are an estimated 1 million creditors and the top 50 are collectively owned some $3.1 billion. Ash, these are huge liabilities the bankruptcy process will not be easy yeah and that's what i was going to say i was going to ask thomas because i'm not an expert in this but he is why are these names not being revealed and will okay be? yeah <laughs> mm, okay so here is a fun topic it's a this is a fun topic so actually uh judge glenn just wrote an opinion on this in the celsius case so i recommend people go to the celsius docket and pull it up just search for opinion and there's a few opinions on there and you'll see his opinion on the matter. Um, so that's one one way to start. Um, they're Dave, it's extremely likely to be revealed. One, anybody that's owning this through a business or an entity is 100% being revealed. And two, and individuals are likely to have their information revealed to some extent. Now, some of their information will be suppressed. Um, maybe uh, they're, you know, like they're, normally you'd see everything, but maybe it's just their name and their amount. Or maybe it's just their last name, first initial, and amount. But the names are going to come out of who owns the stuff. And my understanding of early FTX claimants, you weren't allowed to open it in a business entity. So a lot of those are individuals. Um, but the bankruptcy, especially in America, is a very transparent process, or the Chapter 11 process is very transparent. No judge uh, is going to allow creditors have actually allowed proof of claims without having some idea of who they are. It's not fair to the process, not fair to the creditors. And it's against case law. This is ridiculous. I mean, Sullivan and Cromwell's motion is dead on arrival. I mean, it says imminent harm because of business risk to the, the, the debtor. The, de the, the debtor, the business is dead. No one's going to steal FTX clients. That's basically what they're hey, claiming. Hey, Thomas, that, but that's an interesting statement. That's an interesting statement in itself. It's a very interesting statement because it may imply uh, that they uh, that, that, that the creditors have exposure uh, and they're afraid that there'll be a loss of confidence around their business that could lead uh, potentially, potentially, ah. we're just speculating here, uh, to a, a kind of a daisy chain effect uh, or a contagion well, effect. That might be one of the risks. If, if, they, if, they, if that's a risk, then they themselves should file for bankruptcy and then try to redact creditor information because that's that's, that is potentially a, uh, a right that they would have as a debtor. But that's not probably debtor. exactly what they're trying to avoid. Okay. Well, some of them might. Uh, I happen to know a lot of people on that list uh, or touch base with them. I think that I understand why in the first instance or the first, you know, information being put out there, they redact it. But it's it's going to come out. If if not, the market will suss it out. The bankruptcy court's going to require it to come out. And if you notice people filing proof of claims, if they file as an individual, it's redacted. If they file as a business, you see the business name. So if you want to go to the docket and look for the businesses that have exposure, you can see that. None of the big creditors have filed yet. There's no what's called bar date. There's no reason to file it this early. But hey, some people, everybody knows them. You know, the guy that wrote his thesis like a year before it was due. Uh, you know, because people like to do their homework way early uh, and they filed their claims now when there's not even a bar date. Hey, Elaine, um, talking of bar dates, I know you were looking at Celsius. Yeah, okay. So... 
Um, there is an important update on another bankruptcy proceedings. I'm just sitting here watching this whole thing involve bankruptcy, bankruptcy, chapter 11, stuff that I would never think that I would learn being involved in crypto, right? And, you know, myself, I have money stuck in Celsius, so that's not cool. To think that was a big one for this year is absolutely nuts with the explosion of FTX. Anyway, so a request by Celsius, right, for the U.S. Bankruptcy Court of the Southern District of New York to set a deadline for claims that has been approved. Customers have until the 3rd of January to submit proof of claim. Honestly, Thomas, for someone who is um, a retail investor like myself, what should the average investor do right now? Tell me what the very first step is as the bankruptcy guy that I need to to hear from. Okay. So, so I'm sorry that you got, I have a claim in Celsius. It's not fun for anybody. Uh, but hopefully we get decent recoveries out of the case. Um, and, you know, so, so you probably remember this, this issue of the, uh, of the, whatever, I want, I don't want to call it doxing, but the, the, the lack of the ability to redact uh, creditor information and the opinion from the judge. So I don't know if you saw that, but I can easily send you a link to it. Um, but yes, on the bar date, a bar date is you have to file a proof of claim before that bar date. But if a debtor files a chapter 11, you have a, what's called a deemed filed claim. It's not legal advice, but you basically, if your scheduled amount that you got in the mail, Elaine, you probably got uh, you know, uh, this in the mail. It says, hey, you have this amount of claim. If you agree with that amount, you basically have to do, you don't have to do anything. Um, if you want about the abundance of caution, file a claim with supporting documentation, go for it. Um, and if you disagree with the amount or the characterization of your claim when you read that form they send you, then you should go and file a proof of claim. Um, or if you think for whatever reason you have some additional damages that you'd like to pursue, you should file that in your proof of claim as well. Um, and, you know, you should seek legal advice if you're talking about real dollars. Um, but if you're sort of a more ordinary creditor, and you're comfortable with what they've scheduled you at, you shouldn't need to do anything. And you should just stay up to date on the docket and, you know, try to remember that there's more to life than, uh, you know, following a bankruptcy docket, hopefully. Um, but if unfortunately you're stuck in it, you know, follow the docket and you shouldn't have to do anything um, if you agree with the scheduled amount that you've been given. Tom, Thomas, quick question for you. You mentioned recovery yeah. there. Uh, what are the whisper numbers right now around the Celsius recovery? <sighs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> whisper numbers i always think it's funny when people think distressed firms like have some like you know special knowledge or they must know some sort of uh secret there's a secret cabal of us like getting together and talking about recovery numbers i mean yes you do compare notes with people uh but you know anywhere between uh it was looking like potentially over 50 percent with the you know with the with the drop in bitcoin of course the recoveries kind of drop on a dollar basis and then you have to think about like, well, okay, there's FTX exposure as well. So you got to knock out the FTT tokens now and you got to knock out whatever kind of intercompany stuff or not intercompany, but any sort of, uh, you know, sort of uh, exposure you had to FTX. And then the mining side, you got to now think the mining's worth less because Bitcoin's down a bunch. Um, so, you know, you, you take the numbers. The last time I was looking at the numbers, it looked like somewhere between 40 uh, low 40s look like uh, a, a decent peg um, on on a recovery number, um, and that's just being honest. I mean, I'm not. It's basically you're looking at the crypto, you're looking at GK8, and you're looking at the mining assets. I'm not sure the mining assets are worth as much as people originally thought in the petition, because if you think about where they are in the process, from what I've heard from talking to sources, um, and if you think about where mining as a business is, you know, you sort of it takes money to make money in the mining business, and so 
you can't sell those assets for as much as you think because on paper it looks great but in practice you need you know 60 million dollars or 40 million dollars of hardware and that that's hard to bridge and so to sell it to somebody you don't get full price um you you got to kind of give somebody a good deal so i mean i'm not that close to the mining business but i'm just saying that i think we need to be realistic about what that could be worth um yeah. but hey um you know yeah those are the numbers i, I well, yeah what, what, sorry i was gonna jump in here and just talk about like clawbacks because i think this is something Ooh, interesting question. to talk about so yeah, Sam, by the way, people have been reporting out on Twitter. I saw this people saying, well, don't worry, everybody. We got all our money out of FTX. And then there's the question as you raise, Ajahn, we have about well, clawbacks. Yeah, because there were donations, right? So, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried donated $40 million to the Democrats. Um, he put real estate in his personal name. He even cashed out on the last financing $300 million, right? So VCs invested in the company, but really they were buying his stock. Um, can they claw that back? Like, <laughs> like right. all this, all these assets, right? They must be coming into the to the bankruptcy proceedings. How does that work, Thomas? Great uh, question. Okay, so Celsius and Voyager are a little different because really the only you're talking about smaller retail customers, and most of the the uh, customers have smaller dollar amounts. They're all over the world, and um, and you really have some good faith defenses. You have what's called God. I wish I could remember the code now because I look really smart, but you have ordinary business course defense. You have ordinary business term defense, uh, business terms defense, which are you're just doing something under the terms of your contract. Uh, so those are great pushbacks. The ordinary business terms was added in BAPSI, which is the bankruptcy code update in 2005. So a lot of people don't know about it. A lot of bankruptcy attorneys, you know, need to read BAPSI. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like you got to keep up your course curriculum for CFA. Like some of these lawyers should be uh, trying to make sure they keep up on that BAPSI changes. Um, and then you also have uh, probably what I'm forgetting. And then you also have uh, what's called safe harbor, which you would get as uh, a 546 E safe harbor for uh, basically commodities and security transactions that go through financial intermediaries. This was to stop contagion within the financial industry. Um, so this was added years ago um, by financial lobbyists to basically stop contagion. Um, okay, so those are the ones you have. And then in addition to that, now with uh, let's move on to FTX you have this issue of who owns the property. So if your property never changed hands and you had title the whole time, well then clearly there's no clawback. What would you be clawing back? The property was never yours. So how would you be clawing back your property? That's not never yours. So that's an interesting argument, but let me put a little, let me put some wrinkles in, or let me put some, some caveats on those arguments. One, I think there are a few different groups of clawbacks. You talk about uh, democratic donations, Okay, let's let's look at that one for a second. That's one group. Any sort of donations or things like that, those are considered gifts under the bankruptcy code. Um, sometimes they're considered entertainment, but mostly gifts. And if you look, they're 100% subject to clawbacks. Um, people can call them clawbacks. But there's only really two avoidance uh, sections of the U.S. bankruptcy code, and that's a preference or a fraudulent transfer. Um, those would be clear, either preferences or fraudulent transfers. It was for non-equivalent value. It was within the look back period, and you know. Uh, the debtor did not get equivalent value, which is kind of standard. And we'd have to also argue that the debtor was involved in time to transfer. So it would be interesting to know if it was before Terra Luna or after and when they become came quote unquote uns, insolvent. Um, so that's one bucket. Then let's and and by the way, the for reference customers. on the, just for reference on the, yeah. on the, on the donations, I believe it's been reported that he was the second largest donor to the democratic party uh, during the period, <laughs> which uh, the look back was on. Second largest, pretty significant. After I think uh, Michael might, Bloomberg. 
At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You might see people give the money back in some way. I don't know. If people have the money, there might be instances where to do that. Anyway, so those are definitely subjects. I'll, I'll, I'll be quick. There's two other buckets I want to talk about. One, yeah. the, those sort of regular customers that were pulling money off, kind of in the period where people can kind of smell blood in the water and you, there were stories of him going around and trying to raise money. That was one bucket. And then there was a third bucket where, um, uh, and those guys are probably the safest. And then the, another bucket that probably has more exposure were the guys using the back doors. I don't know if you guys reported on this, but the guys going out of the Bahamas, people switching NFTs and then trying to go off platform. This kind of, I wouldn't call it shenanigans. I would sell creativity, uh, but that And this is a preferential like, treatment uh, type of age. situation. Correct. Correct. Yeah. What about so. all the money that the, the Bahamian government seized? And like, what about the fact that, you know, this company's headquartered in the Bahamas, yet it's going through chapter 11 bankruptcy in the United States? Like, who uh, owns what? Like, who has okay. jurisdiction over what? Well, it, it's a very intricate question. So the Bahamian government, uh, I'm trying to step into this. I kind of get it because they're sort of like, well, hang on a second. Clearly, the, the it's called like a Comey, but you're like, your center of business interest was clearly in the Bahamas, uh, and yet you're trying to do a Chapter 11, like, come on. Um, and also, like, they have egg on their face. They let, I wouldn't call it the biggest positive scheme in history, but they let a pretty big fraud happen under their watch, and now they want to clean it up. They don't want someone else to clean it up. And, you know, John Ray, the guy that's the new uh, sort of, I guess, C, I'd call him a CRO, but CEO, I guess, to run this uh, this this bankruptcy process, he was probably a little aggressive in calling out uh, the 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 lack of corporate oversight because then it makes the Bahamians look like it's a mess and that they've done they you know they haven't done a good job of like monitoring their own entity. So so I can understand why they're stepping forward and trying to take jurisdictional control over the Bahamian uh, liquidation. I think it's going to be a battle royale. I think at the end of the day, I'd prefer to stay in eleven in Delaware and not be in the Bahamas. You know, I, I, I'm someone in the Bahamas is going to get mad at me for saying this, but the last time I did a liquidation or worked on something in the Bahamas, it was an absolute nightmare. Uh, very mercurial rulemaking and, uh, you know, kind of uh, more stakeholder driven than creditor driven. And uh, I just think as a creditor, you don't want to see that. Um, so I'm sorry. And, you know, sorry, Bahamas. Um, yeah. But you're right. They're big questions. And it's going to be a battle royale. I um, mean, you know, you're going to have seriously expensive lawyers arguing about this for the next couple of weeks. Well, yeah, and meanwhile, uh, apologies, like the apologies, balance... Jean-Biev. Apologies, well, Jean-Biev. Just... We have to, we have to bring in uh, Elaine, who has some viewer questions. Sorry, please, okay, Elaine. Yeah, no, look, I, I'm sorry. I know these. It's an amazing source that we have uh, on the conversation here, but I do have to fit in uh, time for some viewer questions. Uh, but before we get to that, remember to hit the like button as always. So, from this is from uh, a question from Taran Crypto on YouTube. He is asking, "What do you make um, of the 40% discount on GB?" TC, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, uh, Genva, uh, yeah, would you like uh, to take on that one? 
Yeah. So like I was saying earlier in the show, they custody GBTC is the largest Bitcoin legal Bitcoin holder in the world, supposedly. Um, they custody their Bitcoin at Coinbase, which is a publicly traded company. It's a financial services business in the United States, audited financial statements uh, regulated by the SEC. Uh, Grayscale, who owns this fund, this closed-end fund, came out and said that their, their Bitcoin is safe and it's custodied at Coinbase, but they're not going to reveal the addresses of the wallets where it's held um, because of confidentiality and worries around that. So that made, you know, crypto Twitter exploded with like, why wouldn't you, you know, prove the reserves? Um, and so now this trust is continuing to trade at a massive discount. So it's either the most amazing trade in history, um, buying this thing at a 50% discount, or the entire crypto space is in serious effing trouble if Coinbase is not holding this Bitcoin. And we don't know. I'd like to ask you to elaborate a little bit on that, John Vf, because I know you have a background uh, thinking about this term in the terms of a financial analyst. Talk a little bit about the structure of a closed-end trust or closed-end fund uh, and the bind that they may be in here. Yeah, so it's a closed-end fund, so it holds this Bitcoin. Uh, it's like 600,000 Bitcoins that they hold, um, and you can buy this closed-end fund. It's traded on stock exchange. I think it's trading on the New York Stock Exchange. And so you, you buy the units and I think you can redeem the units for actual Bitcoin. I'm not sure on this one specifically. I don't think you can. Uh, maybe and you I think can't that's redeem, the problem. Yeah, maybe you can't redeem for the actual. Uh, usually you're supposed to be able to be able to redeem for the physical asset. Um, so this trust used to trade at a premium when it first came out. Because there wasn't really any way for big institutions to get access to Bitcoin in a massive way. So it was a high demand. 100% premium. It was 100% Yeah, it was like a high demand. Right? Yeah. But then as more products came out and more ways to hold crypto came out, it started trading at, you know, down, it hit net asset value. So that's when it's trading at the value of what it's holding. Now it's trading at a discount to the value of what it's holding. So it's trading at a 50% discount. So if they do in fact hold the Bitcoin and you buy it today and they actually prove this, it should at some point, <laughs> go back to net asset value. So there's a 50% upside potentially. Um, but again, that's only if the Bitcoin's actually there. We don't know for sure. Um, so that's the problem here. I, I want to move on to Thomas. The... I know we got to get uh, Elaine back in, but real quick to Thomas. Go ahead. Well, can I ask Come one on. Yeah. So, so interestingly, I spoke with some guys that work in the closed in fund space, you know, like the, the people everybody loves, the closed in fund arbitrageur slash liquidator activist guys. And, uh, you know, these aren't, this isn't really a closed-in fund. I mean, I guess this has been known for a while, but uh, it's not a closed-in fund. Barry Silver is a genius for setting this thing up. He has an ironclad uh, contract to manage it. The fee is too high. And, you know, you know who pays 2% a year to hold Bitcoin? Uh, but, you know, the discount's there, and it's kind of juicy and nice. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, as you said, you know, like early on there weren't many products, and this was the only source. And now it's now that we're in a winter, it's uh, probably a very interesting vehicle to be looking at as someone that just wants raw exposure they can buy on Fidelity to something. So yeah, I kind of think it's interesting. I mean, I think the discount could get even wider if you if we see troubles from Genesis. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, you can't always totally pick the bottom. Hey, maybe the short answer to that question, who pays 200 bips to own Bitcoin, it's probably someone who has no other choice because of the, you know, the terms of their investment charter or whatever yeah, uh, other reasons. By the way, is that correct? Am I right in saying that they cannot redeem this for the underlying? I don't think you'd see this spread correct. flow out in yeah, both directions. Yeah, I don't think you, you would could. either. Yeah. 
Well, guys, that brings no, you. To, I, have, I have to fit in my last question, who is from an honorary uh, chief community member, I like to call him. King Copes on Discord is actually uh, being a true visionary, asking all the questions. So ever since FTX collapsed, the dreaded C word contagion has been sprouted all over the place. No one can seem to agree, though, how big this will be. Some think that most leveraged players have already been taken out, while others think it will be bigger than the terror meltdown. What's your take? Thomas, you want to go first? Oh Jesus, I'm this is I'm not qualified to answer this. Uh, I'm not a macro person at all. That's why I watch Real Vision <laughs> and uh, listen to what Ash and uh, Rival had to say. And I'm like, I like that. Sounds pretty good. I'll go with that. Um, I would say a lot of leverage has come out of the system already. Um, I, I think there'll be more shoes to drop, and I think we're at like peak fear right now, frankly, in my opinion. Like, I meet people that are very scared. Um, now they just got their face ripped off, and they're now looking at five cents on the dollar to sell their FTX claim. But, um, I, I think in general, I think Paul Graham had a tweet the other night, it was amazing from Paul Graham, of all people, uh, talking about a good friend of his in crypto is very scared that there's like more to come. And I'm just like, God, it's so cryptic, and it's from Paul Graham, who you want to just absolutely love. Um, so it's hard. I tell you, it's like I always say when we're investing money in distress, you sort of, you're not, you're not high-fiving yourself when you're doing it. You're kind of, I won't curse, but you're pretty scared. You're basically just like, wow, this is really scary. Are we sure we want to do this? And right. that's probably means, hopefully it means that you're closer to the bottom than the top. But, you know, no. and, and I think Oak Tree has it right. You hope. I think we're closer to the bottom than the top, and that's all you can really hope for. But anyway, yeah, that's my thoughts. So fragile. Genva, do you, do you want to add to any of that? I think there's more issues to drop. I think there's, there's going to be more dominoes to drop. I think uh, this Genesis situation with this billion-dollar billion emergency loan that they need to get, supposedly, uh, they're the biggest crypto lender in the space, right? And they have pulled back in their their earn program that they had with Gemini. That's suspicious and weird. Um, I think, you know, from the institutional side, what I'm hearing from wealth managers and funds that were exposed to this stuff is they're now having to explain to their clients and their investors, like, why they're pulling out what's happening here. And those conversations take a long time to have. They don't just happen overnight. Like this has just transpired in the last like seven days, right? And so I think you're gonna see more exits. Uh, people are just gonna go to the sideline on this sector until we have more regulation, more proof of reserves, uh, more certainty. The thing is, is like, we wanna speculate in the industry. We wanna speculate on this amazing sector, but we want, don't wanna speculate as to whether our crypto is available for us to pull out. That's the problem. And so mm. I think if there's, I think we're, we're probably near to the bottom than the top, of course. That's what I think, but I think there's mm. more pain to come, more pain to come. Um, I do have one more question from Ralph Humphrey, who is coming to us from the RV website. And he is asking maybe one for Thomas, I think. Is there a possibility that the terms and conditions used by the bankrupt exchanges could be treated as um, executory contracts and rejected? I don't know what he means by executory contracts. Um, as a non-lawyer but distressed investor answer, I would say generally courts try to honor the the forms the corporate forms and the corporate contracts before they just rip them up you so so it's not like oh i don't you know this person wasn't following the terms of this agreement so let's just rip it up and look at all the the, the totality of circumstances that's a very 
you know, uh, how do I say, aggressive position, and you might get it in some instances, but generally you 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 don't you don't see that. It's like you know, in every bankruptcy, let's see, the debtor always says there's lender liability. Everybody always says their contract is unenforceable and should be thrown out. And you know, let's go through the laundry list of things that people hope for. It's kind of like hail mary type stuff. It's possible, but it's a hail mary. You're pulling the goalie. You're wearing a, you're wearing a, uh, a soccer shirt. So I got to go with. They're pulling the goalie. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just losing freaking humanity as I go on throughout the week doing crypto. Anyway, it seems like that we just have to continue staying vigilant and do our due uh, due diligence. Um, once again, today is obviously a fascinating conversation. I'll be keeping up with both of you. Uh, and let's go through some of the key takeaways that we we got right talking to over this panel over the past uh, 40 minutes or so. So first things first, what is the security? We still don't know. It's very unclear still in the US. And that's what pushed crypto businesses offshore and, you know, landed uh, to where we are today. So we need when you need to go. Uh, so you need to go deeper into the books when you're involved with these kind of businesses. The second Second is uh, the bankruptcy procedures are messy, long, and customers usually get a lot uh, less than what they had invested into their platform. And unfortunately, we're all getting more versed in bankruptcy law with such high profile failures this year, like Voyager, Celsius and FTX, uh, just to name a few. And the last thing that we picked up is speaking of FTX, there is an ongoing legal battle over jurisdiction between the US and the Bahamas. Uh, that's the with questions swirling around with FTX funds, where they are, what's been stolen and by whom. So safe to say the new FTX leadership, judges and regulators have a big mess to basically clean up. Um, how are my takeaways? Anything to, to add on that? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, go ahead, Thomas. No, no, I'm just going to say, you know, in terms of bankruptcy stuff, I mean, you can't prevent every risk and you can't stop yourself from taking losses. I mean, as an investor, you know, you, we hear all kind of, crazy stories and sometimes they're you know you all you can do is compartmentalize the risk and try to manage it yeah i mean it's not like you can totally mitigate it so so i wouldn't beat pe <sighs> people that are in crypto don't beat yourself up too much just try to keep you know like a whatever like a sound policy you know like what what is it you know keep expenses low and and uh and diversify that's like you know the only two free lunches i guess in in regular finance and it's probably you can add to, to crypto, right? Like diversification within your holdings and your counterparties and things like that. It's still an early, you're still, we're still at the early innings of crypto, I think. So I agree with you, Thomas. I was going to say, I think, you know, we learn, we learn from, we learn from these uh, issues. I don't think there's ever going to be another cryptocurrency exchange that's financed to the degree that FTX was without a massive scrutiny of custody assets with a huge, huge, uh, you know, a magnifying glass and clear understanding of uh, are those assets going to be safe? Are the client assets going to be safe? I don't think it's going to happen again. Ash. Yeah, I uh, unfortunately, when I was hearing uh, Jean-Viev uh, talking, I felt uh, myself to be in agreement with her uh, in terms of the rising systemic risk, uh, waiting for the next shoe to drop. Look, we don't know. We're speculating here uh, about the unknown, but it's it's really impossible to look at this space uh, and 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 not see more risk in it uh, than we did before the FTX collapse. Uh, and then you look at the you look at the numbers. 
Uh, you look at the prices where these assets are trading, uh, and you have to ask yourself, has this really been fully discounted? Uh, is everything priced in uh, in terms of systemic risk, in terms of some of the liquidity issues, uh, in terms of counterparty risk? I, I think those are all very much open questions. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but balance of risk seems to be to the downside, Elaine. Yeah, well, thank you to all of you for having this conversation with us today. Those of you in crypto, do well and do good, FFS. Uh, that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe. RV Crypto is free for those of you watching and managed to, uh, to put a question through to us. Don't forget to hit that button and subscribe. Join us again tomorrow with Ian Andrews from Chainalysis and Drew Hill from Valkyrie Investments. Uh, they will be with us same time tomorrow at noon. That's 5 p.m. from London. So see you tomorrow, same time, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Oh, <laughs> oh,